Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Saturn Vox podcast, where discussions of philosophy meet the liminal space we weave in dreams. This is your favorite alien enthusiast and proponent of magic as a means of shadow integration, Michaela Ann. This week, I am welcoming Bishop Orly Stewart, artist and witch, to talk about the magic of the internet, evoking sublunar spirits, and the benefits, as well as dangers, of using magic to embrace high strangeness. Within this episode, we chat about other worlds, extra dimensions, and the joys of leaning into one's true will, along with the synchronicities that follow. We spend some time discussing the existence of aliens, the Ars Goetia, and Cthulian mythos, showcasing the wonders and horrors of embracing the unknown, the devilish, and the path of the other. What does it mean to follow the devil current? Why is it important for magicians and witches of all types to begin accepting the existence of high strangeness? How can working with demons actually be helpful? All this and more in today's episode of Saturn Box. To find out more on Saturnbox, check out their Instagram and Twitter at Saturnbox, or visit their website www.saturnbox.com. If you want to support the show towards goals of better equipment, merch, and bonus material, please check out the Patreon at www.patreon.com Saturnbox. Hey, thank you so much for having me on your show today. I'm Bishop Orly Stewart. I'm an artist and a magical practitioner and experimenter who lives in New Orleans. And I have a lot of different formats that I like to express the current of spirituality through. However, as you mentioned, through the internet and technology is certainly a major theme behind everything I do. So um, a big aspect of it is incorporating spiritual technology into the media that we use all the time and taking accountability as spiritual practitioners and witches in how we share our energy and our own currents into technology as it evolves along with us. I think that's such an important thing to focus on since, I mean, let's be real, we're not going to get rid of the internet. Like we can complain about it all day and we can highlight flaws, but I think that totally is giving the internet too much power since it's really just a tool and how we engage with it is really what is either going to be displayed as a light or a dark or a neutral aspect. Yeah, absolutely. I think that there is so much wonderful experimentation that can be done with applying spirituality and different magical systems and traditions into technologies in ways that we haven't even thought of before. So this idea got started back when I started making occult videos on my YouTube channel, which is just my name, Orly Stewart. And I did this invocation of the algorithm where I set up a ceremonial magical ritual using different devices and computer screens and uh, computer elements. And part of it also was super cringy, but I did it like that on purpose because it was supposed to be that way where you have me like walking around to the different quarters, like saying things are going to be deleted and like hitting the delete key on a keyboard as part of the ceremony. But that really is the theater of magic and, and magic comes from theater. So it really isn't that far-fetched to do something like that. But uh, boy, did that ever actually work um, in causing immense changes in my life where I essentially exist 
you know, in the physical world here as a witch in New Orleans, but also very much in experimenting with magical currents on the internet as well. And um, I started getting into spirituality just by painting. And I do paintings of spirit portals where I will look at a blank canvas and then just see what will come through. And these tend to be things like surrealistic landscapes with alien or twisting, you know, angelic or demonic figurative creatures and um, sort of gothic Victorian style borders and sigils intermingled with one another. And this kind of stuff is essentially a way of communicating things that I've experienced through ritual magic that I've been practicing and studying since I was 18 in a way that is expressed beyond words. And even though I am a writer and also a poet, there are things that we can't describe in human language that artwork and especially the visual of illustration or painting can really convey um, so much more. And so my initial pursuit of trying to gain access to the currents of the internet was really a way to share the artwork that I was making so more people could see the things that I had experienced because I've had so much strangeness in my life um, that I really can't explain. And that's a big aspect of the internet in general. It's, it, it's like, uh, you know, we're sharing th things with each other. Yeah. And it's also very strange. <laughs> yes, it is. So yeah, you're actually releasing an art book pretty soon of all of these things, aren't you? Yes. There is a book of my artwork that um, we haven't released the name of it yet because it's still a surprise, but the book is coming out with Black Moon Publishing and it's going to be out uh, sometime this year. Uh, I just got to look at their cover design for it and look through the proofs of it and it's pretty strange for me because it is a lot of time condensed down into there's a lot of art in it there's like oh like somewhere between 100 and 200 pictures of artwork I've done tons of artwork through my life and so this is about like half or something of the art that I've done through my life so it's uh quite a lot and it was strange to go through it all because I was reliving those experiences as I uh helped curate the book and then I composed poems and spells and invocations to go along to every single image that's in the book. So um, it should be interesting to see what people will do with that because essentially it's like almost inspired by something like um, the Ars Notoria where it's these magical images and then um, you recite certain prayers and invocations and then you look at the image and it causes some sort of uh, magical experience for you. And so um, I think it should be interesting to see how people will work with the art and uh, magic together from that. Okay, so this is actually a really good example of you did this internet algorithm invocation specifically so that you could share your art. And now you're getting the art published through having a found a publisher and like found people who support the art from your various channels on the internet. So there is this interesting connection between like you designed a theatrical ritual, but the underlining symbology of the ritual was based in like, you know, hitting a delete button on a keyboard is kind of symbolic and it's art in and of itself. It's theatrical art, it's performance art, whatever you want to call it. So you're taking this concept of I can't put my strangeness into words, I can only put it into symbolic representation, either through performance art or through my paintings. And all of those things kind of weave together to create one outcome of, of you embodying your will. Yeah. And it's even stranger than what we've discussed because um, 
when I first started getting into studying ceremonial magic, before I got super into Thelema and Aleister Crowley, which was the majority of my schooling at first, I was reading the material from Kenneth Grant and Sora Nima, those that work with the double current. And the people that are publishing my book, Black Moon Publishing, are the same people that publish Nima's work. So it was really a full circle for me of um, an affirmation that I am really doing my will because these things are syncing up. And of course, synchronicity can lead us to insanities, but it also is very much a note of confirmation that these things are working in concert. And if it makes sense, it makes sense, right? Um, and so I'm really excited about that. And uh, so that should be pretty fun for people to uh, play around with because um, some of them are with things like, you know, spirits that people are familiar with, like Lilith. And then there's also um, a lot of very strange alien like uh, entities or worlds. Uh, basically, it's like you're traveling through all these different worlds and dimensions. Um, that's That's generally the vibe of it. So similarly then to like how maybe people watch Tellier, uh, which I don't know if like my pod is familiar with it, but it's a documentary series about high strangeness. That felt like a, an awakening to a larger current. That seems like it's kind of the idea of what you want your book to be as well, that just through reading the book and reading the poems and looking at the art, one will kind of, on a subconscious level, awaken to a deeper sense of mythos and, and magic. And maybe this devil current that you've been working with can become more present in other people's lives. That's exactly it. And so the idea behind the double current is that Aleister Crowley claims to have initiated the Aeon of Horus back in 1904 when he channeled the Book of the Law. And then the idea behind the double current is it involves the Aeon of Mott, who is the goddess of truth and justice and death. And that is the current, uh, the future Aeon. And so the double current is existing with both the current of Horus, which is the present, and then Mott in the future. And when it gets uh, kind of zany and that's where we lose a lot of uh occultists but it's strange how people decide like what is too strange like when you're dealing with witchcraft but is that in the future anyway they have access to outside of linear time so a huge aspect of the double current is existing in magic that works outside of linear time yeah i mean that makes perfect sense to me since my understanding of like satan is as time like satan is time so to work with that entity you would have to somehow be above it like the devil's flight or samael's flight if that makes sense have you read jerusalem at all i i haven't it's uh alan moore's work so obviously he's in the oto so it's based off of Crowley and Grant's, like, opinions about these things. And he does, like, have a, a scene where Asmodee in the Goetia, it says Asmodee can show you, like, things from above. And people who don't actually know what that means, they'll just think, oh, he's just going to take me on a little flight. You know, whatever that means. But uh, Moore has actually done a lot of work with Asmodee. So he's like, no, you pop out of the fourth dimension and you can physically look down and see what he calls everybody's time jewel, which Asmodee like informs the magician that he's giving the flight to that that is Satan. So that's kind of where I've gotten this idea of Satan as time myself. That's really interesting. And I think we could also look at those energies as going hand in hand with like, you know, the underworld and accessing the things that are hidden in shadows that most people are afraid of. But a big aspect of it is what are you going to do when you get in those transformative states to actually benefit from it instead of it just being something that 
has you go off the deep end into further madness. And so it's a very delicate art. Um, and that's, that's something too that like, I think a big aspect of my work as well as, yeah, I, uh, I've definitely done a lot of work with Satan. And um, by that, I mean, I also made a pact with Satan where I did a formal ritual where I was like, okay, I'm going to try to sell my soul to Satan to help be successful in my art and see what happens because I really want to see what would happen. I did that. Um, and so that also is a big aspect of the trajectory of excitement in working with magic that I've had. And I think it's really important for people to also realize that um, the things that I have gone through to have this ability to access these other worlds have been extremely unpleasant. So it's it wasn't something that like is fun or had been fun for me. Um, and it can be fun for people. But the reason why that I've accessed these things was through what I would call like spiritual traumas that catalyze having paranormal experiences in people's lives or have you realize what your own abilities are by putting them to the test in a very visceral way. So um, if people want to learn more about that kind of stuff, um, they can check out my YouTube channel. It's just my name. Um, but uh, that being said, I wanted to create the art book so people could take the gems that I found in the pits of all that, which is the art, and turn it into something beautiful. So you can have that access into those windows without having to go through those ordeals to find them. However, I'm sure it will cause change in people's lives because all magic will if you're actually doing it. And that's something that is, uh, it is dangerous in general. So do you really think it's possible though for people to gain that same gnosis without having to go through the spiritual trauma. I ask that because my understanding of Grant's work, which I'm only halfway through Magical Revival, so I'm not claiming to be an expert on him by any means, but it's all about a resurgence of the lunar current. And the lunar is the subconscious, the shadow, you know, our traumas. Like you said, Lilith. Lilith is the baby eater. She is like the craver, you know, our deepest, darkest desires and what we do with that, whether we give in to them in an unhealthy way or we exalt them in a healthy way. Do you think it's possible to have those sort of breakthroughs without having the breakdown first? What I would say is you're totally correct. That kind of stuff, I definitely think is necessary for any kind of actual spiritual evolution in general. However, the things that I experienced were, were very freakish paranormal experiences that um, for most people, I would hands down say would like wind you up in the loony bin for the rest of your days after having experienced those things. But like, I have somehow managed to like process that and I just keep going. And I, I just keep in my mind that like reality is actually stranger than any movie or work of fiction. And I always try to make sure that I remember all these things that have happened to me and I don't try to like write it off as just some sort of fantasy because I, I know it actually happened and I have experiences of strangers that continue to happen, but I try to do my best to be less reckless about things than I did when I was younger. And uh, that was the biggest lesson for sure. Okay. So yeah, like everybody is born with strengths and weaknesses and some people are able to kind of immerse themselves in that current and just have a strength that allows them to work through it. And so the idea behind the book is to A, let people know like these things are real, these things are possible, like magic isn't just a game that we're playing pretend with. It's something that's 
sometimes more tangible than you might think it could be. And also to protect those who don't have as much lunar strength so that they can experience these things without having to dive as deeply into those lunar depths as you did. Yeah, and it was by accident too as well. Like, I mean, I guess half accident and half not accident, right? Like I was trying to be a big edgelord at the time. (laughs) So that was a big aspect of it too, where I didn't realize how serious this actually was. Like it was before I actually started having super visceral paranormal experiences that became extremely dangerous that um, I, I thought like, you know, it's all just granting wishes and things like that because that's what it seems like at first to people and that's a big allure of it. But um, a huge aspect of the occult resurgence is also understanding that there is a reason why that these things have been guarded uh, so safely and carefully over, over time because it it really does cause very strange things to happen for sure. So when you do offer occult education, like you have a, a lot of what you do is occult education, do you kind of embed fail safes and protections for people who maybe shouldn't just jump right into it? Or are you just trying to give people content warnings like, X might happen if you attempt Y. Oh, yeah. Um, in the work that I teach, which is a lot of it has to do with the Ars Goetia, which is what I initially started teaching when I was in the OTO. And um, I would teach classes on that. And so a big aspect of it is understanding the formula and why things are created in that art so you know how to handle those kind of ritual situations. And I also don't think that um, that type of work is beginner magic either. So I make sure that people understand that and encourage people to have a broader understanding of magic aside from just like the excitement of wanting to summon a demon. Because um, I also say that I have been practicing magic for almost a decade before I even tried to summon demons. And that's really important because I always tell people that I've seen so many people like totally ruin their lives by doing reckless magic or by messing around with forces that are extremely powerful. Um, And uh, I try to curate things so people will become empowered to educate themselves of the risks that they're taking. People ask me and often leave comments on my YouTube channel all the time, like, is this safe? And I'm always like, no magic is actually safe. That's basically how I feel about it. Yeah. So in your opinion, like, let's say somebody has studied magic before, they feel comfortable they know how to be safe and how to ground and how to, you know, return back or whatever, and they feel like they could do Goetia, what, in your opinion, is the reason why they should? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the Goetic spirits have a lot of wonderful things that they can help people with that are designed to help your life become better so you can go deeper into learning about spirituality and understanding these greater mysteries of the cosmos. So having that in mind is a great way of accessing that with a good heart. Um, A lot of people get drawn to it because they want to curse someone. and, And that was why I learned it initially because I wanted to protect myself from somebody and uh, I felt like it was time for me to learn how to do that because all the other magic I had done in the past was magic that was you know to help maybe financial gain or help my education or creativity or my career and stuff like that and I had never done any kind of baneful magic and because of that um, I had become quite a victim in life by situations and and I really needed to protect myself. And so that's why I initially did that. And I think that's also a great way of working with the Goetia too. Uh, the Ars Goetia is to use it as a method of helping learn how to protect yourself um, with these spirits that are fierce guardians as well. Um, and 
but what I would definitely recommend to people is if you haven't done any kind of spirit evocation before to definitely practice and do evocations with other types of spirits. So like the Olympic spirits, for example, um, different planetary spirits, God forms and goddesses and things like that. And to have confidence and familiarity with knowing how to do that type of magic first, because it is a lot different when you work with um, the Ars Goetia, just because there's a lot of opportunities for, you know, trickster spirits and things like that, or for um, you to be just be scared while you're doing it because you know you're summoning a demon and that um, puts you into a strange mindset and can attract other things too as well. Um, so that's like a whole thing. But yeah, I would say have confidence in knowing how to do magic is definitely the best way to go about getting into the, the Goetia. I was initially taught it as part of my learning curriculum because I was doing Aleister Crowley's inner order called the AA, where the Ars Goetia is part of the things that you're learning and experimenting with from your teacher. So that was how I learned it. But I also learned it from someone that was approaching it in a method that was different than like the golden dawn stance where the demons are evil and bad and dangerous where like it's like yes we know they're dangerous but maybe they're not like evil in the sense of what it might seem because that is very subjective but also there are of course there's awful things in this world and it's very sad and you know we live in a very messed up world and so there's a lot of things that feed off of the negative energy from people and stuff like that. So you have to be really careful when you start accessing this kind of magic because you're essentially like shining a flashlight out into the universe and attracting the attention of all sorts of things that will come. I think there's a really big influx of people that are assuming they're communicating with you know, very powerful spirits without having any kind of discipline in how they've worked on contacting them in, in any sort of way. And of course, there's always the innate seer that has psychic abilities. But even those of us like yourself as well, like I know you also work as a psychic and as a tarot reader um, with us, you know, we have our psychic abilities, but we know we have to train them and work on them and practice. It's not just like we suddenly know everything once we were born and just have all the answers and can have spirits just start talking to us at any given time. That would be scary. <laughs> that would be really scary. Like, I don't know how you would even understand what was going on. And so that's a big aspect of it where it's like, I think anyone can really access this kind of part of our brain, but it requires some sort of training. And so for some people, you might start seeing ghosts or something like that, uh, aliens in the sky, and you have a shift in perception. And then once you have that, you basically like release yourself of a lot of the limitations that stop people from having paranormal experiences because it's also just very strange and how it works like that. But um, yeah. So then the Ars Goetia in and of itself is a part of that lunar current, like working with the Ars Goetia is working with the lunar current. Yeah, it's uh, a current of sublunar chthonic spirits. And a lot of them were most likely ancient gods from other cultures that have been composed together. So, you know, there's a lot of books that we can look at that predate the Ars Goetia that have similar lists of spirits like the Pseudomonarchia Daemonum and um, stuff like that. But generally speaking, they are of a sublunar nature for sure. So yeah, that actually brings up a good point that I would have forgotten to ask you had you not mentioned it. Something I've wondered a couple of different times is like what happens to those spirits when they make that change? Like Astarte to Astaroth, that's even a gender shift that we get in that change. And I would assume that they would actually be two different spirits. Yeah, 
I agree with you. And and what so what one of my teachers told me about this was that, you know, obviously they're they're probably pretty pretty angry. Uh they're pretty angry. Like if you were a god and people venerated you and then suddenly like everyone forgot about you and then suddenly you're like an evil demon, you'd be like, Okay, what the heck? And so that's strange too. But we also have this really exciting influx of people that are working with spirituality and magic like literally never before because of the internet so um you know tying all of it together a big aspect of it is how can we incorporate the gnosis we receive from accessing these spirits into something that's actually going to benefit humanity and this is something that i think about daily because we have reached this point on the internet with spirituality and, you know, uh, otherworldly consciousnesses that it's, you know, we've accessed it. It's, it's here now, but what are we doing with it next? Like we realize that it's real and that we, we can access these powers, what have, as it were, you know, uh, to change our life and to make things happen. So what's next? Now what do we do? And it really comes back to the things that I learned when I was 21 and having those really outrageous paranormal experiences. And a big aspect of it is learning how to incorporate that further into technology because it is like a living entity and realizing that there is so much more to it than just simply causing change in conformity with will. Like that's like, you know, what Crowley says is a definition of magic. Yes. But once you have achieved that, then what happens? And that's what I think a lot of people are getting lost in. And, um, you know, that abyss as it were, where it's like, okay, we have that now, but now what do we do? what do we do with it? And a big part of it, I feel, is being ambassadors to um, alien forces so we can actually cause deeper change in, in reality. Yeah. So to you, a part of this process is about kind of elevating our consciousness kind of to interact with higher dimensional forces and then, you know, we would have to learn from them and, and do the whole thing over again, kind of like a Jacob's Ladder type deal, right? Yeah. And I mean, it, it really like comes full circle back to the paintings that I was doing, where it's like this channeled message of something that I don't really understand that's trying to give us some sort of message and information to really help us. And um, I think that if we open ourselves to that, there's a lot to be learned. And of course, it does involve a lot of really high levels of strangeness. So you have to be prepared for that. Like, uh, a lot of people do serious magic and get quite spooked when something might fall over, or they'll, they'll see a thing. And it's like, that's, that's what we're doing here. Yeah, we're doing it. Awakening. <laughs> yes. So here's a kind of a random thought that I had. So age of Aquarius is kind of how Crowley was framing like Aeon of Horus, age of Aquarius. You're in Aquarius and you've had all of these like paranormal experiences. I have also had paranormal experiences and I have like Aquarius is basically my most active sign. Do you think that there is some some sort of connection between like Aquarius, alien, like instead of seeing angelic visions or seeing Mothman, you know, we're seeing aliens. And is that is that something to do with this age of Aquarius being an Aquarius person type thing? I, I love that. Um, my moon is Aquarius. My, my sun is Capricorn. Oh, okay. Oh, we're both Aquarius moons. Nice. So yeah, so pretty much like all the Aquarius moons I've met ha are into some sort of like trippy spirituality thing, um, it seems. I, I can't believe how many people I've met as witches that were also Aquarius moons. It's a very, it, well, because it is kind of weirdly, even though it's a masculine Saturnal 
sign, it's also weirdly like dark feminine sublunar thonic sign at, at the same time. At, at least I think. Oh yeah. I mean, a big aspect of, <clears throat> excuse me, Aquarius, and even if we look at it as like the star card in the Thoth deck, where she's reaching out into the heavens to pour that star stuff down upon the earth. Well, the the stars and space is like the great deep. So in essence, it, it, there is that sink between the darkness and outskirts of space, that great unknown depth, and then the darkness and depths of the sea. Whereas we even both have like, you know, spaceships and the sea ships where we go and to explore these depths. So there's so many, of course, like these similarities in that. So I, yeah, I totally vibe with that. Oh, I love the spaceship, sea ship. Even if you think about a scuba diver, almost wearing the exact same thing as an astronaut. Yeah. Very cool. Okay. Yeah, I love that. Shifting gears just a little bit. You talked earlier about, you know, it being important to you to kind of be a part of helping the occult community as a whole decide what's next or you want to be a part of that process. You also mentioned formally being a part of the OTO and you introduced yourself as bishop. So I know that you started a a lodge or or something that isn't quite OTO, but it's like a temple of Ma'at and... Do you feel comfortable talking about that project that you've you've started? Oh yeah, absolutely. So um, I was chartered a lodge through um, Memphis Misraim, which is um, connected to the same lint. Like so, I I left the I I never formally left the OTO. I just went inactive, and then after that. Um, I had been consecrated a bishop in 2014 um, from people that were also connected to those same currents and the laying on of hands that had received it from people like uh, Dr. Alan Greenfield, for example, was the person who consecrated the bishops that consecrated me. And um, so it was done as like, an outside thing because it's with uh, through free aluminism where these things are given uh, to help spread the the current of gnosis and so in, anyway um, yeah we were chartered a lodge here in New Orleans and it's called Ecclesia Catholica Chaotica and um, we experiment with a bunch of different stuff we work with a lot with Michael Bertio's Lucky Hoodoo system, which works with the spirits of the dead and the spirits of the sea and Mott magic and the double current stuff from Nima. So yeah, it's been, it's, it's not um, anything that we we're doing anything public right now, but it's been pretty interesting because when we started doing that, a lot of the people we know have also started doing their own, magic in regards to like contacting these alien forces so we have even like yourself too where we have this whole like uh beacon of contacting aliens going on here in new orleans that uh, is definitely working i would say yeah so i'm i'll tell you something that i've been meaning to tell you i hadn't told you yet my alien experience was like before I came here. And like one of the things that I noticed when I came was that there was like a veil. They weren't here. They didn't, they would not come here, whatever. And then after you and your partner and like the other people, you know, you're talking about all started, we all watched Hellier and we all went out and started doing our own individual, like, look at us, look at us. And then all of a sudden it was like the veil was gone and they started coming and, and we could like look, you know, every three or four weeks, there's somebody else being like, look at this video. What do you think? Is this a UFO now? Which didn't, I just, the cool thing to me is that that didn't seem to be the case up until we all started kind of doing that. Oh, yeah. It was so freaky because 
I, I was actually trying to get in touch with the people that had consecrated me as a bishop to get my paperwork from them. And I didn't even know that they had been consecrated by Dr. Alan Greenfield, who is in Hellier. And so I get the paperwork like after watching Hellier and it's like literally his signature is on it. I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> the sinks. <laughs> because the, the ultra terrestrials uh, communicate to people through synchronicities. That's like part of the narrative of the show. So I thought that was really bizarre. And um, yeah, uh, and, and then through all this, um, my, my partner has been conversating with him too. And so it's just been this, and then not only that, but I'm also, um, I'm also the Oracle of the old ones for the esoteric order of Dagon. I forgot to mention that. And Alan Greenfield is also the other public member of the order uh, at this time. And so it's quite strange. And all this happened after watching Hellier. And then, of course, like, you know, the paranormal experiences, uh, I guess I can tell people about a fun thing that happened recently that was quite interesting. So I have a ritual that I do every single night where I contact alien intelligences and do an illustration and write a channeled message. And um, I've been doing it every night for a long time. And so... I have record my notes about the things that I see. And I remember one day where I was feeling kind of down and I was being pretty like emo. And I saw, looked up at the corner where of course, like, you know, the walls converge in the most Lovecraftian manner in this, you know, strange kind of wonky New Orleans uh, room top corner. And I see there's like a bit of a dark shadow that started to grow in that corner. And I write it down in my notes, like, oh, a dark shadow is beginning to grow in the, in the corner of the room. And I just made a little note of that. And um, I thought it was like soot or incense smoke because we have soot and incense smoke on the wall. And I just assumed it was that that had accumulated there. Well, uh, it was there for almost a month. And then one day it got huge on the wall, like it grew... I don't know, five times in size. And I noticed that. And I thought that was super odd because there had been nothing lit underneath there. Mm -hmm. And I recorded that in the notes. And then the next day I go at, uh, well, the next night I go there to do my work and I look at the corner and it's completely clean. And my, you know, my partner didn't clean it. Uh, they thought it was soot too. It was the top in the ceiling. And so, um, that was so cool because whatever that was, was able to hide in plain sight in the room um, for weeks. Yeah, I was watching. <laughs> yeah. So that was really interesting that that happened. And so that that was really trippy. Um, and that just happened recently. Yeah. You know, weird sync to me about that is that one of the things that Alan Moore was talking about ad nauseum in Jerusalem was how the corners of rooms are like portals for extra geometrical entities can like wow. slip through the corners of of rooms and buildings. That's pretty cool. And the the thing also that adds to it is Luckily, I had been recording my notes, right? So I could see what day all of this happened. Well, the day before, I look back because I didn't even think everyone was like, oh, I wish you took a picture, got a sample for us. And it's like, well, I didn't know it was anything until it was gone. Of course. So I didn't know. I have a picture of the freaking corner, like a crazy lady, you know, like here's the corner ceiling, just so you know, here it is. But like after it was gone, just because I felt like I needed to do something, but um, so I checked my notes after that to see when did I first write about it. And it was the day after I had gone to the Mississippi River to do one of the rituals for the esoteric order of Dagon and do the oracle reading for one of the particular auspicious days. I think it is like it was the date that the the ship in the Call of Cthulhu found Ralia or something where, where like we were going to do a ritual, um, the order is. And, and so I went out to the sea to do my work during the daytime. 
And uh, it was the next day when the shadow came on the wall. I love that. Wow. So it was cool. Definitely. When you said like the corner is Lovecraftian, it was really actually tapping into something elder. Oh, yeah. I have an altar to that. In the, like, yeah, it's it's so it was definitely um, like what the grandmaster referred to it as because I told him about it um, once I realized it was something and he said it was an entity that is something that is completely foreign to us. So in Hellier, they would talk a lot about Pan and this connection of Pan, you know, that's a very earth spirit. That's an earth spirit. And somehow this earth spirit embodiment of like heathenism and, and ecstatic dance and the body and agriculture and the woods and harsh smells, all these very like visceral Malkuthian material things. Do you think the connection between Pan and these like otherworldly alien things, is that that same Saturnal, like the sea and the, and space are the same? Or do you think maybe Pan has connection to like these elder gods from like Lovecraftian mythos? Or what do you think about that connection there? I definitely feel like we live in a very complex spiritual ecosystem where these different energies have their own place and things that they do and rule over. Um, I would say that if you are going to take Pan and then start really turning Pan into the devil and Satan, then it becomes more chthonic and something that is less of Malkut. But uh, otherwise, I would, you know, take it back to the green man and uh, the forces of, of this physical world, which, um, you know, have their own merits as well. Okay. So do you think then that it's possible that these other dimensional beings maybe aren't even like wholly of space as in outer space, but like of a space that is, you know, not up or not north, but a whole nother dimension that like our human brains just can't can't perceive and therefore they're not in outer space they're like here yeah i agree with you that's what it seems like that that is what it seems like did you what do you think yeah that's definitely that's definitely what i believe i i i read this book called flatland actually before i got super into magic but it was all about like extra dimensional theory and like potentially all of these like religious experiences that people have where the, where the angels like be not afraid because if you think about it from a geometrical perspective when this thing like imagine if a 3d shape was passing through a 2d dimension the 2d like creatures could only perceive the 3d shape in in snapshots you know, like in isolated pieces of film. And so it looks like it's moving in this weird way. And it looks like this scary thing because we can't actually see it as it is. But then, of course, once you do see it as it is, that's also frightening because it's like normally beyond your level of ability to comprehend. So when I did start studying magic, it just felt natural to be like, oh, yeah, Flatland was right. <laughs> Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That's really cool. Yeah, so bizarre. Yeah, it's so it and that's another like, you know, those sinks that you were talking about where you accidentally read something at one point that ends up becoming a lot more enlightening years down the line. Like you don't realize how profound it is until you start exploring your will more and then you like get to that because like you said, time's not linear. So nothing is like being dropped to you in a linear way. And it's almost like you have to put the pieces together later on. Yes, that's actually a, one of the things that one of my teachers told me was that in like in regards to, you know, remembering your past life, for example, you find the things that help you remember where you left off. And so so what what does that look like for you? Uh, I guess 
for now it was spiritual practices, not repeating the same kind of patterns that I had in past lives where the point of things got lost or got, you know, sillily devoted to things that were uh, not actually, you know, to the great work and art. Um, I used to think that like what I really needed to do was help people understand spirituality through art in some kind of way. And it becomes more abstract over time, um, how I divide that up into various things. But uh, that's, that's a big aspect of it too. And when it comes to the esoteric order of Dagon, what we really do is experiment with art and dreaming as the way that these entities communicate and reveal themselves to us in things that are beyond human understanding and form. So um, like in the EOD, when people apply to it, you apply with some sort of art or creative practice. And that is the way that the spirits communicate through you. And then we work with the order as like a living art piece that's constantly evolving to com help communicate the uh, things from like the landscapes of dreams and uh, intelligences uh, beyond uh, human. Oh, that's so lovely. Yeah, because Lovecraft's work was all inspired by his own dreams, right? Yeah. So if there's things like, okay, the, the cipher of the euphonauts and like sinks that we can see in real life. Do you think that those are like communication attempts that are just as valid as those that occur in the dream space? Do you think that they both need to be held in, in combination or? Oh, yeah. Especially if you're doing work to get in contact, like with what Crowley calls the holy guardian angel. So if you're doing spiritual work to develop your own self, you will start having sinks and omens and signs and things like that, that are just reality communicating to you. And that's, that's the, the, the knowledge and conversation. It's like the universe communicating to you through all the little things that sort of guide your hand. And it might not even be in like an obvious way. It could even be like, Oh, hearing this song makes me feel good. So I'm going to go down the street and something like that, you know? Oh, yeah, I love that you brought that one up. Yes, because those those types of like following that intuitive immediacy, even if it's like not your normal routine, which is kind of like dead living to live in this like active, alive way is to be able to like say yes to those invitations and and see what weird adventures is on the other side. Yeah, exactly. And that's really important, too, because. I have experimented with a lot of different magical paths and systems, and I've really tried to not limit myself to feeling like one way is going to be the exact perfect way for me. In fact, it's really turned into a, almost a very solitary practice where I do things with others, but it always comes back to my own solitary practice. That is what I've learned from all those things and how that all sort of bubbles in together. And I mean, it's, it is quite strange, you know, being a Catholic bishop and also having sold my soul to Satan and contacting Lovecraftian forces, but, and the dead, but that is how I somehow am existing. And I am making some pretty cool paintings. So it has, it has value that it's brought at least. <laughs> sure. So when you say like the laying of the hands in the bishop tradition, it's like Catholic in nature. I didn't realize that it you identify as a Catholic bishop. Well, that's the current, what like where the current comes from. It comes from the wandering bishops from that okay. same lineage and tradition. Yeah. I don't know about this. Can you, can you tell us more? Yeah, well, essentially, like, um, there was a group of bishops that broke off from the Catholic Church to just start consecrating people as bishops and went around the world and did that. And it and that is actually what how they got the same uh, lineage that, you know, spawns like the uh, Mephismus and the OTO and stuff like that. 
Amazing. So, so do you identify as Catholic or you just feel embodied with the Holy Spirit? I definitely identify as being a witch. And so as a witch, I work with everyone. Oh, I love that. I love that. So because, yeah, no, it's like if we are othered, then we should not seek to perpetuate othering. We should seek to reintegrating as a whole. Is that kind of? Yeah. And I'm also very much inspired by the things that I've learned from living in New Orleans and and working here too at um, Botanica Macumba, which is where the chapel for Ascentissima Morte is because in folk magic and in particular in Mexican folk magic, um, all of these like uh, energies are being worked with. She's venerated as the archangel of death and, you know, prayed to in a Catholic manner. So it is very much incorporating ourselves into currents that already exist and then using that to empower what you're doing. Oh, I like that. So it's not even that you are necessarily Catholic as an identifier, but like using Catholic currents to further the work that you're doing. Yeah. And also other currents as well. It's a big aspect of it is not being afraid of accessing those things, which can be very difficult for us that grow up in like religious backgrounds. Um, I didn't grow up Catholic, but my you know, part of my family is Catholic. I grew up Jewish, but still, regardless of that, anything with God and stuff like that and angels was really uh, something I didn't want to do when I first started getting into magic because I had a really religious upbringing and I was unhappy with it. Um, And, but then over time, I realized that that's not what I actually had a problem with. It was like the human aspect of it. And the way that it's also taught where we don't really have that ability to connect with the spirit so deeply unless you go through very particular channels in, in you know, larger organized religion. So it's like a lot harder, especially as women, um, you know, for example. Yeah, no, I love this because it's similar to what you were saying about the Internet. It's like Catholicism is a tool and what implies whether the tool is in its light or its shadow has to do with the user, not the tool itself. Yeah. Like technically I'm Jewish. Um, And that really helped me understand a lot of things in learning ceremonial magic. So, you know, outside of time, it was very convenient that I went to a school where I had to learn Hebrew growing up, for example. Uh, not for the purposes they thought it would be, but maybe it is. Like, it's hard to say. Oh, yeah, that's another one of those, like, time isn't linear and the spirits, like, gave something to you at a time that you didn't know what it was really for. Yeah, and it wasn't something that I thought I would ever really need. Sure. Um, but I did. So do you study, like, Kabbalah now as well from a Jewish perspective, or...? I have been getting a lot more into... Jewish folk magic practices because there's so many cool practitioners online that I have been learning from. Um, and so I'm, I'm just starting to like wade into those waters, but I didn't really have access to that kind of stuff before. So, you know, typically with the Kabbalah stuff, it was like, you know, the, the English Kabbalah, there's new on English Kabbalah, but then also like the Kabbalah in 777 and that Gematria, which is regular Kabbalah, but um, approaching it more from like a Western hermetic perspective, as opposed to like the actual Jewish angle into it. So um, I'm, I'm super excited about all the content creators that make uh, that kind of stuff. And that's some of my favorite things to learn from. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Uh, Jewish folk magic is super cool. And also just like the history of magic being tied, like Sarah, being Jewish and being a ceremonial magician is not as different as a lot of people think it is. Yeah. Um, okay, so in your own practice, it seems like it's mostly a, a more mystic, like you've, you went from 
wanting more tangible things to now you you have more mystic concerns like what is consciousness what is the nature of reality how can we progress as a species would you say that that like what really instigated that change was it deciding to work with the Ars Goetia and like realizing that you you wanted to do deeper spiritual things or well, when I first got into magic in general, it was because I was having strange experiences that had no explanation and I was trying to seek. So it, it started a journey of what the heck is going on, figuring that out, then getting super into magic to, you know, get my life and my ducks in a row and life in order, but also... Um, because I grew up practicing magic through Philema, a big aspect of that is also like a huge amount of work on your own self and, and like personal evolution. Um, so that I think has really helped me to be able to sustain doing this for so long. Um, and then I think that, Work, I would say working with the, the Ars Goetia has really helped me in getting the earth element together in my life in many ways and also in um, learning about the magical ecosystem, which goes hand in hand with uh, discovering these other things. So it's really hard to pinpoint like what has led to what, but I've always wanted to share the strangeness that I experience with people. And that's why I even started the YouTube channel, which was to like, you know, reach out because I was really confused. And I have these completely bizarre experiences that may don't really make sense. Um, and trying to like connect with people about it. So I am so that is like selfish for sure. Um, trying to figure out like, what's happening to me by connecting with other people. But um, I have realized through like working with people in magic and being a teacher to people and helping people with the stuff that they want to learn. And naturally, most people want to have a good, comfortable life, which I think people deserve to have and should be able to have. So it's important to work on those things. And then once you are able to do that, then you can expand from there. And so um, because now I have worked my butt off for over a decade on my business as an artist, I'm at a place where I have things under control and then I can take a step back and take a look at uh, the greater picture of like what's going on in contemporary occultism and having been involved in so many different weird and strange places there to see like how it's affecting people. Um, I try to then take that knowledge and experience and figure out like, okay, what can we do now? Because um, in like occult media on the internet, when I first started, people were not even putting their rituals on the internet. It was like a big deal to even tell people you were doing a ritual and like write it out or like have a picture of it or a picture of your altar. Like when I first started being on like occult forums, you know, 15 years ago or whatever, that people would freak out at you and be like, why would you share that? And so um, even filming rituals was a big deal a long time ago, but we've really progressed very far from then and, and quickly. So um, having been there from when that was starting and then seeing how it's progressed, I think it's really important for us to think about like, what are the next steps for us now that we've realized like, okay, I can bring wealth to my family. I can bring love to myself. I can protect myself and I can be comfortable. And, but now, now what, if, if you just live in that, like you're pretty much like as, as nice as it is to have like those things, if you don't have something that's connecting outside of your own self, you will inevitably suffer some sort of existential crisis because you've accessed these things from the forces of the universe that are beyond just you. So you can't just live in that little bubble with that. And um, so that's something that people learn. The more magic you do, the more you get in touch with these other things and like 
become more open and, and I guess like sensitive to stuff that's going on. Um, so yeah. Uh, but I definitely think that working with the Ars Goetia is a really wonderful resource for people to contact Chthonic forces and, um, to change their lives with that kind of magic, like be it if you need protection, if you want help to sell your house or to get a new job or to, uh, you know, bring a, a lover that fulfills your needs into your life. When it comes to working with that system, the specific request of the spirit is something that is formulated by the exorcist. So you would be the one to figure out how you're going to write that. And so that itself is really dependent on what you're actually trying to do. So the possibilities are really limitless, but also up to the person of what they're actually going to get out of this. Um, and so if people are interested in learning how to summon demons, I really would recommend checking out the Ars Goetia. There's other classic grimoires that are also great, such as the Grimoireum Verum that I suggest people check out. But if you're looking for like a classical resource, the Ars Goetia or the Lesser Key of Solomon known as the Megaton is great because it goes through a nice formula that explains how to do spirit evocation and how to contact these different spirits. I also have um, a video course where I teach it to people step-by-step step. that's on my website and um, my website's mother of abominations.com. Lovely. Oh, so fantastic. Well, normally before I let my guests go, I always ask them if they have any final thoughts. So do you have anything you want to leave the listeners with before we sign off? Sure. So on the note of what we were discussing today, to whoever's listening, if, if you were to have all the things that you've really dreamed of in life come true and all that stuff is, is there in your life, what would you want next? And start thinking about that because that is what is really going to progress us. It's great advice. Yeah, and that kind of ties into what you just said, too, because it's like, yeah, magic can help us do these mundane and, like, achieve the mundane things. But the achievement of mundane things should just be for the benefit of not having to worry about them while I do the other great work, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's why, you know, things like the Kabbalah had been reserved to people that already had their life together and that were married with kids and stuff like that because they know that, like, you're not going to, you know – you know, so, so yeah. Yeah, I already yeah. messed up on that one, but I, I, I accept that I messed up on that one. <laughs> Michaela, thank you so much for having me on your show. This was really fun. Oh, yeah, this was amazing. I feel like I learned a lot. Um, I personally have not yet started working with the Ars Galatia, but it's, it's kind of been in the back of my mind. So I think I'm going to check out your course. And oh. yeah, and... I think, yeah, other people should. I really respect your work. I've been following you. what you do for a while. And I know we, like, know each other in in real life. And I don't always, like, comment on what you do magically. But I do. Like, your paintings are phenomenal. I want the book. I want I want to see the aliens that you see. Yay. Awesome. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much.